This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. That's right, another episode of Five on Three. We are back, Matt Costantini, Jack Caldwell, I'm Jackson Heil. Guys, back from Thanksgiving break. Must ask how the Turkey Day was for both of you. We'll start with Matt. Oh, it was great. I mean, it's a day full of football, food. What more could you want? I mean, I, I, it was nice. I don't, I don't even know what I was about to say, but dessert for on Thanksgiving for me was a major disappointment this year. Oh no! Which, which is what happened? Which is disappointing. What happened? First Jackson? off, I don't. I, I'm not a pie guy. I don't. Okay, like well pie. that's your first problem. It's like pie holiday. Yeah, Any pie? But, yeah, but I, I don't like pie. I, I'll eat like cookie pie if, if that's <laughs> if that's even a thing. But but exactly. So as Chris Tennessee tells me in the back, it's not actually a thing, which he, he's right about. But my point is, I don't like pie, and the ice cream was melted, so it, it was it was a disappointing day. But tur- turkey and mashed potatoes are always good for me, and turkey's not overrated. That's, no, that's the take. That's the take. You put gravy on top of anything, and it's freaking incredible. I saw and a that, lot. That, that's all. That's all. We'll Twitter stick with was there. heated. I saw a lot of hot takes on Twitter about turkey, and I I strongly agree with you, Jackson. Anyways, Jack, how about you? How was, how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was good. Last year, we got all of our food catered, which did not go well. So we decided to go for an all-homemade Thanksgiving dinner this year. So my family was up since 7 a.m. on Wednesday cooking. Were you cooking? I got to make corn. My family, hey. my, I'm not a great cook, and my family was sympathetic towards the fact that I'm a freshman in college, and I hadn't seen most of my best friends from home since August. So they said as long as I make corn... They were going to let me this year have a pass and hang out with my friends on Wednesday. So I got by. Damn, God bless you, man. I I can never I haven't cooked a meal on Thanksgiving since I've been alive. So that you're doing better than I am in that regard, but uh anyways, we got a show to get to. So let's get to that. We got a lot to break down. Some interesting news around the NHL this year regarding general managers, some trades, and obviously there have been some surprise teams in the NHL, like the Buffalo Sabres, which we'll get to. But we'll start on the local side of things, Rangers, Islanders, and then Devils. Rangers obviously have been red hot of late, 10, of, 10 points in 10 of 11 games, then lost two in a row, beat Ottawa last night, and we'll play Ottawa again on Thursday. And kind of a tough Canadian weekend, so to speak, with back-to-back games against Montreal and Winnipeg. Vic Hadfield night is Sunday against Winnipeg, so that should be a good night at the Garden. But we'll talk about more stuff with them. I have some... Interesting questions for you guys about Kevin Hayes and Chris Kreider because the Rangers are going to be facing a dilemma soon when it comes to contracts for those two. We'll talk about the Islanders. Kind of how I'm I'm not I don't know what to think about the Islanders yet because they're kind of caught in purgatory right now and I feel like that's kind of where they're going to end up in they're in a spot where I don't think they're going to be in the dumps of the league obviously with teams like Detroit and Ottawa and being the fight for Jack Hughes and Capo Caco but they're also I don't I don't think it's clear that you could say that they're a team that's going to end up in the playoffs because they've been riding a high PDO this entire time. But we'll get to more about them and then obviously the Devils have just been a disaster early on. Obviously Matt was talking about before the show with me how they're in they're in goaltending hell right now. So we'll we'll talk more about them and my concerns about the Devils and then we got some NH big NHL news to get to. Ron Hextall fired by. As the GM of the Flyers this week, somehow Hackstall keeps his job as head coach as well. But regardless, uh, Philly starting to finally make some steps in the right direction. Hextall was a disaster. We'll get to more on that. And then, not a big trade, but I'm going to call it a pretty big newsworthy trade between 
Arizona and and Chicago. It's with, a disappointing trade. Eh, I mean, that's what you can call it. Nick Nick Schmaltz going to to Arizona, fifty point guy last year, only twenty two years old. For Dylan Strom, who was obviously the third overall pick a few years ago, outside of the Matthews and Line A draft, and then also uh, Perlini going as well. So some talent going to Chicago, and then we want to talk about the Buffalo Sabers for a little bit because. Listen, they've been probably the biggest surprise in the NHL this year. I think I kind of had them as a borderline playoff team coming in, but they're the second team in the league right now, especially, and they're competing with the likes of Toronto and Tampa Bay in the Atlantic Division. So we'll get to that. We'll start on the Rangers side of things because, as we mentioned, they have been red hot of late third in the Metro at the moment. Obviously, there are some game played issues in hand where they, if Pittsburgh and the Islanders and Carolina all win their games that the Rangers could end up in the bottom of the Metro when the games are even. But again, nonetheless, the Rangers have been a great surprise. I think David Quinn's done a great job. But my big questions right now, because obviously the Rangers coming into the year, it looked like there was going to be a fire sale at the deadline again, which I, I think is still very much in the realm of possibility. Obviously, if things continue to trend in the right direction, things are going to have to change in that regard as well. But I look at two guys, Kevin Hayes and Chris Kreider, Hayes is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. He's only 26 years old, but very good argument can be made. He's been the best player on the Rangers the last two years, you could argue. I mean, he, he does everything. He you can be their matchup center. He's playing on a line with Kreider and Heedle right now, which have been the best line on the Rangers. At 26 years old, a center, and I know they have Anderson and Heedle there, so it kind of makes it a tough scenario, but if I'm the Rangers, I'm extending this guy at all costs right now because... If you trade him at the deadline, I know you're probably going to get peak value for what he is. But again, a peak value for a rental at this point is what for a late first round pick and a prospect at this point. I, I'm I'm extending Hayes, I, and I know I have to, I would have to see the price first. But I, I'm assuming if you can get Hayes locked up for say let's say five or six years, just under six million dollars a year, I, I think it's a no brainer for the Rangers, Matt. I I really do because he he's been this team's best player and kind of the backbone. I would say, of this team for the last two years. As strange as, as it is to say, I think the worst thing that could happen to the Rangers right now is staying exactly where they are. They're third place in the Metro, and if they kind of continue this trend of of being a good team but not a great team, they might fool themselves into thinking that they have a playoff run in them. See, here's where I disagree with that, and I'll let you finish your point in a sec, because you look at what the Rangers did last year, they were kind of fooling around with the playoff spot when Jeff Gordon and company sent out the letter to the fans saying they were going to rebuild. I think the Rangers are very conscious of where they're at in terms of what their rebuild is supposed to be, and I, I think, obviously, they still think next year is the target. And, listen, things could still fall apart, but even if they are in a playoff spot, I think they're going to be cautious sellers at the deadline regardless. Well, and that's where my point is. It, if they're still this third team in the Metro, because I only think three teams are making it out of the Metro this year. I think the two wildcard spots are coming from the Atlantic. Um, but if they're in that third spot, I don't imagine them selling and I don't imagine them buying either and that's where they're going to run into problems because you do have guys like Kreider and Hayes that would probably get you a lot back in return I mean you're going to get a little bit out of uh, Matt Zuccarello and then whatever other guys you're going to decide that you want to dump off but your main assets right now that you could get rid of because obviously you're not getting rid of Heedle or Elias Anderson or anybody like that but I don't know. In my mind, I I think that you can find guys like Kevin Hayes 
in a lot of different areas, and he and he's kind of the guy that that is easily replaceable. But oh, oh, when, I don't know about but that. when you find a guy like Kreider, and he was the guy that in the beginning of the season I was really on, and I thought that he was the guy that needed to step up, and he's done that. He's your leading goal scorer. He's your he's your leading point guy. I just don't see how you can pick him over. I don't know how you can pick Kevin Hayes over Chris Kreider. Well, I'm, I'm on Hayes over Kreider for a few reasons because one, Kreider's next contract is going to be at age 29, and Kreider typically, you can argue typically, that's peak. but typically for big fast forwards, the aging curve after 30 years old is disastrous. It, it's it's disastrous, and I'm not pointing at Milan Lucic for an example because Milan Lucic is nowhere near the skater that Chris Kreider is. But we saw Lucic fall apart the minute he signed that deal in Edmonton, and you look at Hayes, a guy who. Listen, he hasn't had a ton of miles under him in the NHL. He's He can really do anything. He can be a matchup center. We saw him do it under AV. We've seen him this year tap into that offensive potential, certainly, that he's had. And he, he has shown in his career, but so far it's not like he's been in offensive purgatory. The guy was a monster last year offensively in terms of scoring goals as well. But I, I look at Hayes and see, hey, he's going to sign his next contract at, what, 26 or 27 years old. You're going to get at least three or four more years of peak value under him. I I, I take Hayes over Kreider at this point. Jack, what, what do you think? Well, look, just remember how well Philip Hedl has played since he, he's moved on to that top line. And moved on to the wing also, which is one yep. of the reasons I also think you're okay with extending extending Hayes if Hedl continues to show he can be a dy- this dynamic at the well, wing. Exactly, because now you have that top line of Hayes, Kreider, and Hedl have played so well together. What about stunting Heedle's growth? I mean, he's 19 years old. I'm not saying putting him with a different group of guys is going to completely ruin his potential or anything like that. But when you have a kid who's playing as well as he has been, he scored in five straight games, he's really come into his own since moving on to that top line. I think it's good to have that safety net of guys he's playing well with. Um, and Hayes and Kreider have both just been so good in the sense where, especially Kreider, they've stepped up as those captains. They're almost there to like hold the hands of the young guys. Because when you think about the young guys on this team, think about who's emerged and then sort of fallen back. It was Howden, who was everything about the Rangers, and then he s- stepped back. And then it was Neil Pionk, and that, uh, then it was Heedle. And these guys are going to emerge and fall back. They're going to be streaky. That's how young players develop. But you need to, to stay entertaining. You need to have veterans who are always there, always there to support the young kids and always providing stability in the lineup. And that's I, who Hayes and Kreider are. I think my problem with extending Kevin Hayes is that you have two young guys at center in Mika Zibanejad and Elias Anderson who you expect you and Anderson, you expect him to be your top line center for years to come, and Zibanejad will fill that second line center role v- really nice. So when you talk about extending Kevin Hayes, I mean, what are we talking in the five million, six million range yeah. per year? Are you really going to pay him six million dollars to be your third line center? I mean, like I said though, he he's been the Rangers' best player. I think this year, I don't think it's even close. And listen, obviously the numbers and the points suggest that Zibanejad's number one center, but. You look at Hayes, I mean, every time he's on the ice, that he creates something. I mean, it, it, every, it, literally every time. It, it's it's something that I look at the Rangers and you need type of players like Kevin Hayes who can be his own entry monster. He can play in his own end. He's comfortable on the penalty kill. And he's a guy who probably is on most teams' first power play unit in around the league other than New York when they have a guy like Sabanajad to play there. But 
I look at Kreider and ext- I would. I mean, you you trade Kreider right now with a year and a half left on his deal. You're gonna get a you're lot back a mon- for him. You're, you're, listen, and you're only trading Kreider if you get a monster return. Obviously, there are scenarios where you're probably you might not get the offer for Kreider that you need, and then if that's not the case, you hold on to him, and and that's completely fine with me. That's why you have next year to move him at the deadline, or you can move him in the off season if you want. But giving Kreider a what six or seven year deal at age 29? No, when- he wouldn't get that. I think there's. I, Listen, the I, guy's on pace for 40 goals this year. If he continues that next year at age 28, and especially when all signs are pointing to Artemi Panarin being here next year. Okay, but I got to I got to say something about what Chris just told me. Yeah, John Tavares got that kind of deal. That's John Tavares. He's obviously getting Chris Kreider isn't John Tavares. No, you're not giving Chris Kreider isn't John Tavares. But we look at Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic got a seven year deal. Well, Andrew Ladd got a seven year deal. That's, that's Edmonton doing what Edmonton of, does. There are plenty of places where Kreider, I, I I would. I bet if Kreider goes to the open market, he can get it. He can get a seven-year deal. That that that's just how I look, or even six. But my point is, giving a six-year deal to a, a player like Kreider, who again in his prime is going to be a, is going to be a great player for you, obviously. But once he hits thirty, and a player like that who is best known for his size and his speed, father time's going to hit sooner rather than later. It's and, the and, exact and, problem and the Rangers what, got where, themselves yeah. in the first place. Yep, we're giving. Deals to guys like Girardi, and but does stuff. that but does that not show that they would do something like this again if they did it before? They but it's not, not do it Sa- again. It's not Glenn Sather calling the shots. It's Jeff Gordon. I could talk about this all day, but we do have to move on to the Islanders because we do want to get to a lot of other stuff. And, and like I mentioned, I'm kind of going to pose this question for you guys because I'm a bit undecided on the Islanders right now. I'm I'm not really sure where I see them ending up at the end of the year because, listen, we've seen we've seen so many different variations of the Islanders. I, I think their top six is great. Um, even though Barzal has struggled to score goals in the early going, you put him on a line with Anders Lee and Brock. I believe he's been playing with Nelson. He's, he's kind of played all around a little bit. But my point is no, Barzal is going to be fine. And as Chris tells me, he's been playing with Bailey and Bavillier. Bavillier, by the way, I love. I, I I don't know what the deal is with him. I know he struggled scoring goals at the beginning of the year, but Bavillier wasn't playing with Barzal in the beginning of the season. He had one goal going in, bef- into the Rangers game when he had a hat trick. But point is about the Islanders. I'm kind of rambling out of control at this point. I'm not sure where I see this team ending up. They're kind of in that purgatory range where it's going to be, listen, they might be fighting for a playoff spot all year. And with a guy like Barry Trotz, he will keep them in contention, even even though the underlying numbers aren't suggestive of success. I don't know if that's the best spot for the Islanders to be, and that's when I that's why when I look at the Islanders, I still don't see a playoff team in them right now. I see a team that has an opportunity to take advantage of trading guys like Anders Lee, and I know he's their captain, and they'd love to extend him. But if they don't have an extension done within the next month, I look to move Anders Lee. I look to move Jordan Eberle. Soon as well. I mean, the, the Islanders have valuable pieces. And the, again, me and Chris were talking about this before. It's all about the future. I mean, you have guys like Oliver Wallstrom. I know he struggled at BC early on. But the pipeline is there for the Islanders. So why not move a guy like Eberle and Lee? Probably gets you two more first-round picks in addition to the one you have this year. You'll probably fall a little bit down the standings. Hope the ping-pong balls fall you in directions. And then you're in a case with the Rangers like last year where they have three first-round picks going to next year, and are in a really good spot for the future. Well, that's exactly the point. You're just looking for what direction the Islanders are going in. And right now, they're in a case where you lose your best player, 
but yet they didn't blow up the team. But at the same time, they aren't good enough to compete for a Stanley Cup, and it's not like they're only one or two pieces away either because they had one of the best players in hockey and clearly were not close to being a Stanley Cup contender last year. So you have a guy like Barzell who you can really build a team around. I don't see why they shouldn't blow it up. I know some Islanders fans might be a little antsy for success, but honestly, I, I think they missed their shot. I the Islanders missed their shot with Tavares. They have a, a young core to build around. It's time to get some draft picks and, like Jackson said, get those ping pong balls and build towards the future. They definitely made a mistake um, not trading Josh Bailey last season. They should have realized that John Tavares was not going to resign. They And instead, before that even happened, they extended Josh Bailey, making him basically untradeable now because I don't see... I mean, he's a great player. I don't see a team taking him on, and I don't see the Islanders moving him right now, especially playing alongside Barzell. I don't totally agree with the sentiment that they were wrong to not trade. I, I think it, I don't wouldn't have minded them training Bailey, but I mean, Bailey's on what? Chris, Chris what, what's Bailey's deal? In the, I, it's like six years for five million, something like that. Yes. So, so we did get six years. It was, I believe, it was just a tick over five, which I, I think is a relatively team friendly deal for, yeah, for a guy like Bailey. Point guy? Who's yeah, why not? Going to put up eighty two points a year, even though, even without John Tavares at this point. But my point is this: even though you do have some pieces to build around, and like you said, guys, the guys who have carried the Islanders so far, ironically enough, Val Filippo is going to take a hit at some point, and Leo Komarov is going to struggle at some point. So I, I just don't see. This Islander team, because with the way they've the way they've won so far, has been basically entirely based off goaltending, which has been a problem for me and something that's not going to continue when you got have guys like Thomas Grice and Robin Lanner. Why not get out in front of it right now? Make the trades early. You'll get better value for guys like Lee and Eberle now. And even if you don't trade Lee and try to extend him, I can live with that too because Anders Lee is. Arguably one of the most underrated players in He's a guy that you're going to want on this team moving forward. He's a guy that you're going to want playing alongside Matt Barzell, Josh Bailey, those kind of guys. Because he just does everything well. He's not a great player, but he's a good player. And he's going to score 25, maybe 30 goals this year. So why not extend him? I'm, I, I understand the sentiment of trading him and trying to rebuild now, but... You're, I just don't see it in their cards. They remind me a little bit of the Devils last year where they're surprisingly good and they're a year ahead of schedule. But unlike the Devils from last year, I don't think that it's sustainable. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in that boat. Matt, uh, Jack, what about you? Well, I just don't understand the plan moving forward. In terms of this season, I really don't see it with this team. I look at the Metro Division, and as we've mentioned we think there's only going to be three teams coming out of the Metro into the playoffs that Atlantic is stacked. Washington and Columbus are going to seal two of those three spots, most most likely. Once Pittsburgh gets Crosby back, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think Carolina can hang out the rest of the year. Even the Rangers, we they're still on the fence too. It's going to be real tough for the Islanders to squeeze in on that third spot. I really don't see it happening. And even Philly's got talent too. I mean, like there's I, so the much, Flyers could come together. It's just a lot of it's a whole load of mediocrity in the Metro this year. Yeah. It, it really is. And we'll shift over to arguably the most mediocre team in the Metro, and that is the New Jersey Devils, who predictably on my end, have hit a regression train. And I, I think that I know a lot of Devils fans were off or 
pretty big optimist about the Devils coming to the year. I know you were, Matt, for sure. You had them making the playoffs. I didn't have them in the playoffs this year just basically because I didn't think they'd have the scoring outside of Taylor Hall, which, I mean, kind of has been the case so far. I mean, Paul Mary's been great, and they've had a few others step up. But, again, it, it really comes back to the fact that one of the biggest concerns we had about the Devils coming into the year was goaltending. And, listen, Corey Schneider hasn't been great. Kincaid hasn't been great in his role either. It's kind of been a point for the Devils where, almost like last year with the Islanders, they don't know who their goaltender is. And as long as that continues, I I don't see the Devils coming up at any point soon. We talked when Corey Schneider was coming back on this show about we have to give him the month of November to to kind of get his legs back. Well, we gave it to him. We gave it to him, and... Owen Owen five is not Owen five with a four two seven is not the way you want to come back from from injury and show the team that you it's just, not what you want it's not that ain't it chief. it's not what what you want that ain't it chief but I've been seeing some some graphics that have kind of been trying to defend Corey Schneider a little bit by not making it all his fault because these graphics have shown that the defense has legitimately played worse in front of him in the games he's played than they have in front of Keith Kincaid in the games that he's played. So you can you might be able to chalk a little bit up to bad defending and a little bit of bad well, puck luck. Yeah, the defense part is not it. good. <laughs> but I just... We talked about the scoring, and it, it's just not there. When Taylor Hall, great, phenomenal. Kyle Palmieri, phenomenal, again. But when your second-leading point guys are Blake Coleman, Travis Zajac, and Damon Severson... Again, it's just not, not what you want. It's just not where you want to be. And as much as I hate to say it, cause, and I loved the team last year, I loved the story going into the playoffs and David versus Goliath and all that, making the playoffs was the worst thing that could have happened to this team last year. They were ahead of schedule. They should not have made the playoffs. They should have been ready to get another top 10 pick, get more talent. And instead you trade for Michael Grabner and give up your best defenseman prospect in Igor Rykov. And a second round pick. Who? Well, and, to be fair, and also no, I, I'm fine with the trade. I, I honestly, and especially since they replaced yeah. him with Ty Smith, who yeah. looks like a better player. Yes, right now. and Ty Smith has been great. But you look at the Devils right now. The Devils are even. I think they're in a much worse spot than the Islanders even are at this point because they're in a spot where they're going to lose a lot of games. But again, there's talent there, and they don't exactly have the assets to give up because, assuming you're not trading Paul Marion Hall. What assets do they have to move at the deadline, Jack? Because you look at them, this is a team that probably wants to accumulate some sort of draft capital, and they don't really have the guys to do it at this point. Well, exactly. This was this was their year. Like The Islanders were not building towards this year to compete for a Stanley Cup. The Devils were. They arrived last year. They were ready to make that next step forward, and they blatantly haven't. And the thing about the Devils, to me, is they look like they've lost all all their heart. Uh, they're 0-4 in overtime this season. Uh, they've lost, obviously, a bad loss to Florida. They had a bad loss to the to the Red Wings about a week and a half ago at home. Where they bad loss to the late. Islanders. Yeah. Bad loss to the Islanders. It's been bad losses after bad losses. A lot of them coming at home, which is a problem, obviously. The fact that they aren't either coming back late in games either. Because last year, that was the big storyline around this team. They had heart. They were always gritty. They were always fighting back. You could never count them out in the third period. How many two-goal deficits with 10 minutes to go did they cut down? It seemed like it was happening every week. And yet, it's not happening. Um, I, 
I pinned it on Andy Green, the captain, a couple weeks ago. You can't go there. But I do have to say, he looks like he's done. He really hasn't been a factor at all on this he's team. He's not good. And you, you, your captain can't be a guy who's washed up the way he is because the players aren't going to respect him or look up to him. Now, obviously, it's more than a captaincy problem, but that is an issue in itself. But it just looks like they lost their heart. And I think Taylor Hall, too. To me, it looks like he's trying to do too much. He's forcing it. He's been great, but it doesn't seem like it's coming as naturally to him as it did last year. It looks like he's trying to force it a little too much, and I think all the headlines of the fact that he carried this team, maybe it went to his head. Well, look, he's in a, he's in a contract year. He's obviously playing to get paid. He's going to get paid regardless of how he plays this year. But, look, the Devils have three wins this month, and... If they lose to the Capitals on Friday, they will stay at three wins this month. They have so much work to do, and I'm not sure... I mean, obviously we've talked about the Metro being bad. I don't think that... I don't know. This team should not go for it this this year. They need to take a step back. Ray Shiro has made some very good moves and some very questionable moves. He didn't go after any free agents this year, this past offseason which was puzzling because obviously they he needed to add to this team. I don't know why he thought uh, a five-game or... Did they get swept by Tampa? I think they got swept by Tampa, right? Who, the Devils? Yeah. No, they... They, they, they picked up one? Yeah. yeah, so they... You should know that. I'm, come on, Matt. <laughs> I tried to block you it. Devils fan, come so, on. They won game three. They had... They lost in five games to Tampa Bay, and they didn't think that they needed to add anything. I mean, that's just... And that's my problem. Like, they didn't they didn't add anyone this offseason, and they still don't have assets where they could really move... At the you, deadline. I, I, I could listen, I could slander the devils all day long. We do have some other stuff to get to, and I, I know you want to slander the devils even more. I so. do, because they need to be better. So, <laughs> well, let's move on to the big trade of the week. And actually, you know what? We'll start with Hextall quick. I, I know we don't have a ton of time left. We want to quickly get your thoughts on that. Ron Hextall out as a GM of the Flyers. Finally, a move in the right direction for Philadelphia because, first off, I, I think Hextall is also a pretty big problem there, personally. I mean, his usage of players has been a big issue for me since he's gotten the job there. And he is also a problem in itself. But starting with Hextall and getting him out of there was a big move in the right direction for me if you're the Flyers. Because, again, we've seen some pretty bad contracts in the day of Ron Hextall. We've seen some very questionable moves in terms, I mean, even even lately, I mean, signing Van Riemsdyk to 7 mil that per was year, which was contract. pretty ridiculous, even though it was only a four-year deal. A lot of stuff that hasn't made sense, and listen, I'm not sure where the the Flyers go from here. I mean, you got Holmgren still a problem there for me in their front office, and as I mentioned, Hackstall is still not the guy for me in Philadelphia, but hey, you got to start somewhere, and I think Hextall is a good place to start. Yeah, I saw a lot of people on Twitter when when uh, Hextall got fired, they were saying that he was the wrong one to go first. Everyone thought... Dave Hackstall should have been the it's first weird, to go. It's weird, because usually the coach goes before the yeah. GM. Doesn't that tell you that Hackstall is going to be gone soon? Yeah, and I saw... I don't, see, I don't, I don't know about that. There's a, I, I saw a report before we started from the Courier Post that's talking about how Paul, Paul Holmgren is saying that it's going to be up to the new GM to get rid of the coach. The front office isn't going to do anything with Hackstall before they hire a new guy. And honestly, I think I'm going to agree that I, I think Hackstall should have been the first to go. I mean, you look at some of the personnel decisions he's made. I mean, you play Nolan Patrick on the third or fourth line on a consistent basis. You don't bring up guys like Sam Morin until they mm-hmm. they basically have nothing left. 
The, and, usage, the usage of his young defenseman, too, has been a problem. I mean, he, stu- he stuck McDonald to Goss Despair for so long. The Flyers have butchered their young talent, which is a real shame. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jack, I, I know you want to get a word in here on this because I see you smiling over there. <laughs> I mean, I always love to talk about the Flyers struggling, but you look <laughs> who at who doesn't? You who look doesn't? at these names: Sean Couturier, Shane Gatsitspierre, Nolan Patrick. There's talent there. There was potential, and it seems like they've been hanging on to those guys for five years, four or five years, waiting for them to come through, and they never have. And I think this is almost a team that. You have to relook at your roster and figure out where you're going moving forward. And to me, there's nowhere to build onto this team. It's not like you can just add one or two pieces here or there. I think first, before you think about rebuilding, I think you need to see a new head coach, which again is why I don't understand they didn't fire Hackstall because how many times have we seen in hockey a struggling team fire their coach, they get a new guy in who the players like, and all of a sudden they surge. There's always and that one you, or two team every year. You throw Joe Quenville on this team, they're a playoff team come end of the year. Yeah, but I mean, That's, it's it's really. Yeah. All, I think Quenville's going to take the rest of the year off and kind of reassess where he is from there. Probably but, should. But uh, any, anyways, as Chris mentioned in the back, they've also had goalie troubles, and part of that yeah, is they don't have, been awful. they don't have goalie talent there. I mean, when Brian Elliott's your number one coming to the year, you're bound to run. I mean, they're, into some they're sort just of waiting on Carter Hart at this point, and who knows what he's going to be. Yeah, I mean, and and again, goalie prospects in themselves are pretty much a guess at this point. I mean, goalie prospects have no value until they're basically just about ready for the NHL, and I'm not sure Carter Hart's even at that point yet. I know he's in the AHL this year after a few years in the Western Hockey League, but regardless, I'm not sure. Quickly before we go, big trade out of Chicago this week. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, 51 points a year ago, 21 goals, going to Arizona for Dylan Strome, Brendan Perlini, two guys with a lot of talent, especially Strome, and I'm not ready to give up on Strome yet because I think if you give him more than 12 minutes a night and give him some decent line mates, he's going to score because, I mean, his junior numbers obviously are incredible. He is a guy who still has a ton of skill, and he's only 21 years old. And Schmaltz himself is only 22, which is pretty impressive in himself. And I think he's a pretty set-in top-six guy. But I honestly don't mind this trade from Chicago standpoint. I don't know how they say no to this, honestly, because I think Perlini, even though he's had his struggles in Arizona, you get him some good line mates, and I think he can be a, he can kind of be a passenger on that line. Dylan Strome, like I said, I mean, he's definitely got the talent, and if you put him in your top six, possibly put him with DeBrinkett, who he played junior hockey with, then they can kind of rekindle something there, and I'm still a believer in Strome, and it's it's just an an interesting trade dynamic, because Chicago and Arizona just seem to only want to trade with themselves. I mean, I I think Shaika, and I I can never pronounce his name, John Shocker, whatever, and and, uh, Stan Bowman just I don't know what the deal is between these guys, but they don't trade with anyone else. It's it's pretty remarkable. Well, they're pretty much polar opposite organizations. You had the Blackhawks, original six, classy, successfully successful recently. Then you have Arizona, which is not any of those things. Um, and to me, this is the perfect situation for the Blackhawks. I know there's been a little bit of instability recently there, obviously. But you take a couple of guys who have a lot of talent, untapped potential and just aren't working out out in the desert, which tends to happen a lot for the Coyotes. You get them in the right situation in a real classic hockey market with a team who seems to know what they're doing for the most part versus a Coyotes team that never seems to know what they're doing. It's the perfect situation for the Blackhawks because it's pretty much low risk, high reward. 
I'm going to be honest, I actually forgot Dylan Strome still played in the league because that's how far he was buried in Arizona. And that's kind of just like the story. I hate to see Oliver ekman Larson wasting his career because he's one of the best defensemen in the league. You put him anywhere else, I'm sure he succeeds and could lead a team to a, to a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to see Chicago finally taking their future into consideration. You get two guys that are under the age of 23. I mean, that when's the last time we saw that out of them? Instead yeah. of giving contracts to 35-year-olds. I, I know we got to go and we're going to wrap this up, but quickly. We talked about uh, Shaika being kind of like the golden child because he is a big analytics guy. Uh, him and Kyle Dubas, obviously, the two big analytics guys. But you look at Shaika and the way he's drafted, I mean... Barrett Hayton this year was a questionable pick at five in, in itself. Obviously, Strom and I, I listen. I, I think Strom was still clearly the third best guy at the time, so you can't really slander that pick. But other than other than Clayton Keller, I mean, th- th- this is a team that has struggled to draft since Shika has been there. And hey, th- things can still change at this point. But regardless, we do have to wrap this up. So good episode. We are back. We'll be back next week for sure. And. Hopefully, with some more interesting stuff to talk about, we didn't get the we didn't get around to Buffalo. Shout out Buffalo, man! They're doing really good. Yeah, their fans deserve it more than anything for uh, for sure. But again, from Matt Costantini, Jack Caldwell, I'm Jackson Isle. This has been Five on Three.